Open your Bibles with me this morning. We are going to be in the New Testament book of Acts. And we're going to be there for a moment, and we're going to kind of move around a little bit this morning. We're going to answer a very important question. What does the Bible say about church membership? It's not uncommon for a pastor to be asked something like, like this. Well, why, why should I become a member of a church? Or do I really have to be a member of a church? Or can I just simply attend the church? Or is church membership even biblical? There was a book written a while back called, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. There's been this growing group of of people and this growing idea over the last couple of generations that that value having church in their life, but find no value of having their life in a church. We've become the society that is on demand. You go and you pick up your remote control and you find something on TV to watch that is on demand. We almost have our world that we are going to pick and choose. We're just going to to grab and and, and build our life and build everything in our society and everything in our culture and our, our life around our wants and our desires. And at times we don't look any further than that. Even more through the pandemic that we've recently emerged from, undoubtedly we've we're going to feel the repercussions of this, of this lockdown and this forced distance that the church has seen over the past year. It's been difficult coming back. But that's where a church family comes together. Just as new faces are showing up at church and at different campuses all over the, the globe looking for hope, there are people in our communities that the church has not reached yet. There are even people who come as attenders who the church has not reached yet. And there's this misunderstanding about what it means to be part of a church and even a deeper misunderstanding of what it takes or what it is to be a member of a church. There's some people in our society who have whittled down their faith to three words. They say, I I love Jesus. And that's enough. Say, that's all I need as long as I love Jesus. And I won't argue that your salvation is based on on faith alone through the grace of God. But would it be fair to say that Jesus came to give us more than three simple words to live by? Yes, we do love Jesus. But he gave us more. This growing idea that it's simply just okay to love Jesus and then distance yourself from the people who he came to redeem, what that does is it creates isolated, not isolated churches, but isolated hearts. I think we've all been through our fair share of isolation recently. This idea that The church is just a commodity that it will be there when I get there or it will be there if I want that. It'll be there if it's my demand. It's something that our society really has gotten away from, but it's something that the church needs to get back to. 
This is a spiritual family. This morning we're going to be looking at this idea of church membership, and we're going to start classes, like I mentioned to you, right over here, right after church, right after our, our last bit of worship this morning. And I just simply want you to spend some time getting to know what the church is about. There will be some people who are going to come and who are going to kind of kick the tires and see what, what is this church membership thing about. And there will be others who, who won't, and that's okay too. This, this isn't a pressure sale at all. This is an invitation into a family. Yes, you're part of the family of God if you are a Christian, but we want to invite you to become part of the family of Paris Valley Church. Just like we do every Sunday morning when we look at a specific topic, we're going to make sure that we're looking at it through a biblical lens. We want to know what is it that the Bible says and we're going to see what the Bible says on this topic of church membership. We're going to start right here. Point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, on the back of your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those. They're going to be up here on the screen. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. Church membership is a biblical concept. Church membership is a biblical concept. One of our core values at our church is to make sure that everything that we teach is based on biblical authority. The idea of church membership doesn't just come out of just the ideas of how to do good church. No, it comes out of a biblical precedent that, that we can see in the Bible. Now, I know that there is no verse in the Bible that says the term church membership. I know that you won't find a verse that says transfer your membership to a church. I understand that. There's not one that says join the church. But we do see the principle played out through scripture. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome and they're asking the church to accept a woman named Phoebe into their congregation. That is Paul giving a letter of transfer to Phoebe, or for Phoebe, to the new church that she will be going to. She is apparently interested in becoming and wants to be part of this other church. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. In our modern day, we have a, a practice of church membership that is very similar to what we see in the Old Testament and what we see in the New Testament. We have membership in a way in both the Old and the New Testament. What it is, it is a mark. It is an identity and an identifying mark as you being part of a church, part of a family. In the Old Testament, if a man was not Jewish and wanted to become part of the church, wanted to become part of the, the Jewish culture, he would have to be circumcised. That was the mark of Judaism. In the New Testament, the identifying mark of the Christian was baptism. Baptism is the introdu introductory process for Christians, for those who are coming to faith and those who are coming into a church, those who are going to be part of a church. In the early chapters of the book of Acts, the apostles begin the mission of the first church. What we see is 
the church starting kind of outside the walls of Jerusalem. The Christians were coming together to live together in this area, kind of like a, a camp. What happens is that the Lord really, really blesses this group of Christians. At this point, he has risen back into heaven. And the disciples, now apostles, who are leading this group of Christians are forming this church. On one day, it's the day of Pentecost, we see that Peter spoke. And he spoke in front of a great multitude of people who were there. And I want you to see what happens. I'm in Acts chapter 2. I'm in verse number 41. It's up here on the screen. Luke writes this, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Now, it says they were added to the church. They weren't added to the church and large. They weren't just added to the family of God. No, they were added to the local church. They were added to this group in Jerusalem. The Bible says 3,000 people came to faith and were baptized that day, became part of the local church. What a good problem to have. Your church all of a sudden, boom, by 3,000 people. Can you imagine we had 3,000 people. We can hold about 1,500 in this room. That'd be great. Move to two services all of a sudden. But 3,000 people became part of the local church. Peter preached. People came. They were added now to the role of that church. Now, I do want to make something very, very clear. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. We come to Christ through faith and through grace. Baptism is our identity. It is our identifying Mark. It is that moment in your life when people, friends, family, and others recognize that change in your life because something is different. What's different is you are identified now as a Christian. Some might compare it to maybe joining the army or joining the military. On the first day, you show up at boot camp and you're going to sign some paperwork, and you're going to stand up, and you're going to take a pledge. You're going to put up your right hand, and you're going to promise to defend the Constitution, and at the end of that day, you might go back to the room, wherever it is that you're staying, but in the next couple of days, you are going to show up, and you are going to be issued a uniform. This uniform now is going to identify you as a member of this army, of this military. It is your public identification. Wearing this and people know who you are. What would happen if everyone who came to sign up to participate in the military, what if they didn't, they didn't get a uniform? What if there was no uniform for those who belong to the military? If, if all of our army and our Marines and our Air Force and our Navy, if they just went into battle wearing their street clothes, nobody would know the difference. That's what happens in the life of a Christian, is that if we go into the battle wearing just our street clothes, nobody can tell the difference. Baptism is our uniform. It is our identifying mark as 
Christians. The book of Genesis, really all the way through the Old Testament, through the book of Malachi, and we see that the nation of Israel is divided into 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes are divided into clans. And these clans can be divided into families. And everyone is numbered, everyone is accounted for, maybe by last name or by surname. They know how many people are in each particular group of the nation. They know who is part of the family. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, we find some verses that actually restrict some people from outside the nation from becoming part of the nation. There's an implication that there are some who are formally and organizationally recognized as members of the nation, and there are some who are not. There are some who are members, and there are some who are attenders. Now, we would love for everyone to be members of the church, and there's, there is room for members and there's room for attenders. But there is a biblical precedent that we can see for both of these categories. In the New Testament, the requirement to be part of the church was to be a member of the family of faith. The requirement that Jesus gives us in the book of John, chapter 3, he tells us that we must be born again. You must be a person of personal faith with Jesus coming to the church in the New Testament. In our church, personal faith in Jesus is a requirement for membership. Even further, baptism of a believer is also a requirement of membership to show the world that our members, to show the world that the church is all, we're all wearing the same uniform and we are proudly displaying our new life in Christ. There are a few ways that membership works and how we come into membership at our church. The first way you can become a member of our church by being baptized in our church. And there are some here who have been baptized at our church. And that puts us on the path towards membership. The second way is what we call a letter of transfer. You don't see this very much anymore, but it does still happen. You may have been a member of another church in another town, and you've moved here. You want to become a member here, and we would get a letter of transfer from that other church and accept that as meeting the requirements for membership. The third way is a statement of faith. And this is when you would come. You might come at the end of our service while, while I'm praying or somebody is up here and say, Pastor, I, I would like to be a member of this church. And I am stating that I am a Christian, that I have come to Christ, that I have accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior, and I have been baptized, and I would like to become a member. Those are the three ways that membership works at Paris Valley Church. Membership, more than bringing people together on roll, it also allows for the church to make decisions at a local level. 
Our church is not part of a hierarchy of churches. There is not somebody who we need to call to get permission from somebody else to get permission from somebody else. We don't have to go to Riverside or Sacramento or Washington, D.C. We are a, a church, an autonomous church, that can make decisions at a local level. And church membership plays a very big part of that. The church in Jerusalem that was started had some decisions to make in a time of crisis. Follow me, I'm in Acts chapter 6, I'm in verse number 2 and 3. Luke writes this, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom and we will give them the responsibility. I want to set the scene here for a moment. All these, all the people, the Christians are living together now in kind of a makeshift camp. And the group of widows, without a husband, sometimes life was a little difficult. Sometimes life was a lot difficult. The church would take care of the widows. But now you've got a racial divide. We have the widows who are Jewish, and we have the widows who are not. They are, they're, they're Greek, they're from other groups who have come into the church. Well, there was this disagreement whether the food was being distributed properly to all of the widows. What happens is that the leaders of the church say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come together and make a decision. And their choice, their decision was to bring other people and assign other people and train other people to take care of the food ministry. They made a local decision. The church in Jerusalem didn't have to get permission from the church in Antioch. They didn't have to get permission from all the churches in Judea. They, they made a local decision as a local church. They selected men to take care of an important ministry at their church. Our church works very much under that same type of structure. The Lord has blessed us with the city of Paris as a place that we are told to reach. We are told to reach Paris from within Paris. But we don't have to go and get permission from any other church as to how we're going to reach those who are in our area. We have the ability to do that within the family, within the church, is come together, make those decisions, and serve together. Church membership is simply our organizational identity. People can recognize us. We know who we are. We know that we are together. It's simply a formalized and organized faith relationship one with another. I'm not sure that everyone who attended the church in the early days were members. As a matter of fact, we know in the Old Testament there were people who believed in God and they attached themselves to the nation of Israel, but they were not the nation of Israel. They chose not to become part of the nation, and, and that's absolutely fine. I'm sure that there are some men who said, I want to be part of this church, but I don't want to be circumcised. I'm just going to be an attender. In the modern church, however, church membership is probably more formal than it was in ancient times because we have a role and we do keep membership records on an Excel spreadsheet. Don't think they had one of those then. But that doesn't diminish the significance that they were all connected 
together. It doesn't diminish our significance that we are all connected together. There's some people that will say, well, I can't, I can't find church membership in the Bible, so they must not have had church membership. That would be like saying, you know, I can't find electricity in the Bible. They must not have had light. No, they did. It was just different the way that it was done. Membership today is different, but it is still a form of connection to one another. Write this down. This is point number two in your notes this morning. As Christians, it is important not only that we believe, but also that we belong. The question is, why should I become a member of a church? Church membership, it brings a form of belonging. If you had family come over to your house, maybe from out of town, they were going to stay for a week. You might put everyone in your car, you might go show them around town sometime. You might drive them around, driving down Paris Boulevard, and you might show them different things. Or maybe you drive by here and you say, hey, this is Lake Paris, and you drive down and say, look, here's, look, the Super Walmart. We just got that put in a few years ago. That's nice. And, and, and there's the, the Fitness 19 right there as you're driving by, and here's, here's this restaurant, and here's this gym. And then if you come by the church, though, things are going to change. What you're going to say is not, there is a church. No, there is my church. There is my gym. Why is it your church? Because you belong to the church. There's probably 10 other churches that you might have passed along the road showing others around town, and you didn't stop and you didn't say, hey, there's a church, there's a church, there's a church, there's a church, there's a church. They could see that. What they want to know and what you want to tell them is there is my church. That is where I belong. You probably don't show them all of the gyms around town. You say, that's where I go at four in the morning twice a week to work out. I go to that gym. That is my gym because I belong there. Membership is this formal declaration of saying, I belong. This is me. God's built into us a desire to belong. We need one another. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this in verse number four and five. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We are all parts of the body. We're not meant to live in isolation. Very few people go to the movies by themselves. Even fewer people probably ride a roller coaster by themselves. We need people. We were built to be together. We were never intended, intended it was never intended for us to live life alone or live a spiritual life alone. God gave Adam a family. A church is a family. It's a family of families. Sometimes when young men grow up and maybe they don't have much family at home, they might join a gang. 
they're joining what they see as a family. Sometimes when kids graduate high school and they go off to college, they might join a fraternity or they join a family. Clubs. We have clubs all over town. Just think about the amount of clubs. We have car clubs. We have knitting clubs. We have gun clubs. We have all, all kinds of different clubs. Every kind of hobby has a club because this is people's desire to connect. As a church family, coming together connects us together. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 writes this. Let us hold tightly without wavering, without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Meeting together, being together, belonging together. It's so important. Families come together. Point number three in your notes is this. Membership allows the church to have a clear doctrinal focus. Some people get frustrated when you're driving around town, you see different churches in, in you think, why are these different churches here and, and different denominations? What is that? Most churches, as well as ours, though, we come together around a common doctrinal statement. And it's because of this statement that we don't argue in the church about, about little things. No, it's all lined out in our doctrine statement. And another church might have a different doctrine statement. And now we don't argue with, with them because this is their statement. And this is our statement. And we're joined together for the same cause. Our membership brings an identity of who we are and what we believe. Paul wrote this to one of his disciples. He wrote this to Titus. In Titus chapter 2, verse number 1, he writes this, But as far as for you, teach what, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He's telling them, when you teach, when you preach, make sure that you are teaching what the Bible says. See, this is our doctrine that draws us together. It brings us closer to one another. We're not a church that's going to have debates about baptism. We baptize by immersion. That's what we find in the New Testament. That's what our church does. We come together. It's part of our doctrine. It is in our statement of faith. We come as a family together. We're not a church that's going to have debates about how we take the Lord's Supper, and we're not going to have debates about what the elements mean because we all come together with one doctrinal focus, and we know that we share this focus with our church family members. There's some ideas, understandably, that we might not all agree with, but when we come together and we practice together and we study together and we learn together, we grow together. It's not our job to force others to be like us. No, it's rather our job to teach others to focus on Jesus. That's our job. 
one of Paul's other students, Timothy, also received letters from Paul. And as Paul did with Titus, Paul writes Timothy, and he tells him to be on the lookout. Watch this. I'm in 2 Timothy, verse number, uh, chapter 4, verse number 3. Paul writes this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And they will reject the truth and chase after myths. That's why doctrine is so important. It's important that we're on the same page. As a matter of fact, in our membership package, we have what's called a statement of mutual interest. It means that we've all read this, that we all mutually agree that we are on the same page. It says that we actually have responsibility to each other. As a Christian and a member of this church, I pledge to live in a way that supports our biblical values. That leads us to the final point in your message notes this morning. Church membership provides needed accountability. Church membership provides needed accountability. We stir one another up. We keep each other accountable. When you choose to become a member of a church, you are placing yourself in a position of accountability. You're accountable to other people at the church. You are accountable for how you live and how you manage your life. You're not alone. You don't come into a church as a lone wolf. You're not out in this world by yourself. But you are accountable to other people. There is always, listen to this very closely, there is always someone who you can call. There is always an open ear. There is always a church family member there. If I can't pick up the phone right now, you call Paul. If Paul can't pick up the phone, you call Jerry. If Jerry can't pick up the phone, you call Jerry. Or maybe you start with Jerry because he... Okay, Jerry's not going to pick up your phone right away. Just leave him a message. He will call you back. I promise you that, that, that he will. But that's what we do as family. We're accountable to each other. We're accountable to learn from each other. But in a family, there is those who are providing direction. We are accountable to make sure we are all on the same path, that we are moving forward together. Being a member of a church is a willful decision to be accountable to someone. It's to be accountable to other people. It's to be accountable to leaders. Your family at home provides accountability for you and you check in, right? You check in with your family because you're being accountable. You know, I'm going to be gone for the weekend. It would probably be a good idea if I called home and just let them know that I'm okay, right? You ever do that? You, do you, now, do you ever expect that from the kids, even the older kids, right? You tell them when they leave, call me when you get there. It's accountability, it's, I want to know that you're okay. 
That's what the church family does. We want to make sure that you are okay. The writer of Hebrews writes this also. In chapter 13, verse number 17, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Your church leaders and your pastor, whether it be me or somewhere else, our job is to look out for your soul. If you are not part of a church, if you are not part of a church, then chances are you don't have a pastor. You might have a preacher, but if you haven't submitted yourself to the body of the church, then you might not have a pastor. There is a difference. You can find a preacher anywhere on YouTube. You can find a preacher, you can find a thousand of them on your phone right now. But your local congregation, your local church provides accountability and a pastor for your soul. That is our job. As members of the church, we are a group, a group of people who are spiritually accountable to each other. We have a criteria to be a member of the church, that you must be a believer in Jesus Christ, that you have to be baptized, and that you have to be in general agreement with our statement of faith and not divisive. We all have a membership covenant together. In a way, it's similar to a marriage. A marriage is a vow. You have a vow and a commitment one to another. Church membership is a family vow, a covenant, a commitment to one another. If somebody, if a member of the family is living an ungodly life, that's a reflection on us all, on the whole family. See, faith is personal, but it was never meant to be private. Faith is personal, but it was never meant to be private. In our culture, so many people like taking the cafeteria approach to church. Maybe they go to one church for worship, they go to another church because they've got a great youth group, they go to another church because this is where they serve, they go to another church because they've got great events. That might be good for learning, but the cafeteria approach is not good at all for accountability not good for responsibility we need to have a group of people that we have submitted to and ourselves and our family we are part of this group and we are accountable and responsible and this is where we serve and this is where we tithe because this is my church there's a difference when members of the body are fractured the whole body is fractured. This morning, we're going to come together over here. And we're going to simply have an introduction to Paris Valley Church and what membership looks like. And over the next two weeks, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. I'd invite you to join us. Just sit in. The family needs you. And you might not say it out loud, but you need the family too. I'm going to read you this as we close from Ecclesiastes 
chapter 4, verse number 9, it says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If a person falls, the other could reach out and help. But somebody who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That's family. That's what family does, is we stand back to back and we give together and we serve together and we learn together and we grow together and we watch each other's backs, and we show up, and we are accountable to others, and we hold each other up, and we pray with each other, that is church family. 